You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We have a very interesting story that we're going to look at today. Something that only Jesus can do, but also that disciples were able to do in the name and in the power of Jesus. And it's a very interesting story. I'm excited to be able to share it with you this morning. And uh, and, and we know that every detail, every story, everything in God's Word is there for a purpose. And, and I trust that today, that God's Word would speak to each one of us in a mighty way as we take and we listen to the Word and as we look at how we apply God's Word to our lives. So before we go into it any further, let's bow together in a word of prayer and ask God's blessing upon the, the proclamation of His Word. So let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we just thank You so much for the mighty Word of God, and that it stands as an anchor. It stands as an anchor for our lives and for our society, for our world. And Father, we just know that when God's Word is proclaimed, that life happens. And we pray, Lord, that today, that there would be incredible spiritual life that would happen, that would take place because of Your Word, that that there would be hope for those who are feeling rather hopeless today. There would be encouragement through for those that are discouraged. That there would be healing for those who are needing a touch from You. Lord, whether that be physical, whether that be emotional, whether that be spiritual, Lord, we are so thankful that we have a God who heals today. And Father, that in every miracle, in everything that happens, in everything that doesn't happen, You have a plan and a purpose. And help us with bold faith to be able to declare the goodness of our God through the good times as well as through the hard times. And Lord, You you love us. You are absolutely 100% crazy about us. You are in love with us as Your children. And even when we are disobedient, even when we go astray, Your love has not changed. You are like that father that we see in the book of Luke where his son goes out and he lives a wild life and yet he's waiting and praying and he's there to welcome him back. And Father, we pray that even today you would welcome back the prodigal. And maybe it's just an area of running away from you in our own hearts. Maybe our our actions show that we are still going through spiritual motions, but we're far from you. Lord, may we come running back to you and know that you will receive us. You will redeem us. You have saved us. You have called us and, and that we would live powerful lives, not in our strength and power, but through your Spirit in and through us. So bless your word today as it goes forth. We love you. We love the word and thank you that we get to to take it and to open it in this way this morning. We pray this even for the children as they learn today about the gospel through the person of Job and, and the struggles and the difficulties that he faced in life and yet how he trusted you. May we too have bold faith today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are going to look at this miracle, a miracle of healing. And, and one thing about miracles, and one thing when we hear about them, even today, when we read about them in the Bibles, that we can always seem to focus on the spectacular, and we can oftentimes miss out on what is really, what is actually going on. I have a brother, brother-in-law, and uh, my sister. They live in Regina. He's planting a church there. He is just a very gifted, gifted individual. And um, he can fix things. He can build things. 
he's really gifted. He's been married to my sister for a long time, and, and, and that's probably not no easy task. Yet, I love my sister very much, but you know what, and I'll probably pay for that comment. But you know what, it, it's one of the other things that he does that is just so amazing and I admire him for is he is an illusionist. He can do a lot of um, incredible sort of um, tricks or, or kind of, you know what, thing, you know, illusions. And, and sometimes it's, it's smaller things, sometimes it's with cards, sometimes it's with jewelry. So, I mean, there's even one um, trick that he can do that he, he actually makes my sister disappear for a little bit. And as a teenager, there was times I wish it would have been more permanent, of course, but, but he, he actually could make her disappear, at least we thought she did, and then reappear in, in this box. And, and it was just amazing some of the things that he could do. And any sort of an illusionist, anyone like this, when, when you see what they're doing, when you see the, the thing that is going on, is, is that we tend to focus on the spectacular, but we, we don't focus on what is kind of going on behind the scenes or, or what we don't see. We're caused to look at one thing and we kind of miss how it came about and, and the, the reason, the purpose behind it. The same is true when it comes to the miracles in the Bible. So oftentimes when we hear of a miracle, we see a miracle, we go, wow, that's cool, that's amazing, how that person's life was changed. And, and we can oftentimes miss the meaning and the message of what's really going on. It's kind of like we put the, the commas and the exclamation points in the wrong place. And it's not where it was so much intended to, because we often gravitate towards the spectacular, towards the, the wow, that's cool, that's awesome what took place. But there is a meaning and a message that is going on that underlines the whole thing. And we don't want to miss that. And even in this story today, a very familiar story. If you grew up in church, you probably knew, knew or even can remember the song that goes along with this story. Any of you remember it? Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palms. He asked for some alms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what does it say? He went walking and leaping. I'm not going to sing it for you. And I'm not going to walk and I'm not going to leap. Um, praising God, walking and leaping in and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. How many of you knew that song? How many of you remember? It brought you back to, yeah, good number of you. Okay, well, that's the story. And that is what we are going to be looking at here this morning. And so we're going to, to read here in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. You can follow along in your Bibles and um, encourage you to do that. And, and there's even some points here that you may want to underline some of the things that, that, that you read that kind of stick out to you. Verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Then it goes on to say in verse 11, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And what I want to draw your attention to today is the key phrase in that passage. You may even want to underline it. And it says in there, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's in verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ, that phrase or a very similar phrase to that, is used at least 35 times in the book of Acts. 200 times in the New Testament. And we see that there is something powerful about the name of Jesus. When you do a study on the name of Jesus, even in the book of Acts, you see that people are saved, they are forgiven, they are baptized in the name of Jesus. They have faith in Jesus. They suffer for the name of Jesus. And it's important if we are going to understand the meaning, not just the miracle of a lame man being able to to walk and to leap and to praise God, but in order to really understand the meaning behind this miracle, we just can't focus on the miracle itself. We need to understand a little bit more of what is going on. So let's set the scene up for you a little bit here so you can understand it. Peter and John were heading off to pray. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, And according to Jewish customs, devout Jews would go at 9 a.m. for prayers, they would go at 3 p.m. and then at sunset. And they would gather together for prayer, there would oftentimes be a lot of of, of praying, but there would also be an opportunity before and after for teaching, for some preaching, and various other things that took place there at the temple. Very, very large place. We actually have a picture of, of what it is believed that the temple looked like. If we could have that up. There you go. This is a massive structure. And during this time, it was during Herod's reign that this, this temple was just even beautified and, and even made even larger and just reinforced with, with strength, with stability. And you have this beautiful, beautiful structure. They would go there for prayers and for worship. And, and it was a place of busyness, a place of activity. If you remember, Jesus got a little busy there in the temple as well when he saw things going on that, that shouldn't have been going on. And And in the midst of this glorious building, just filled with lots of gold and silver and and white gleaming marble, I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing structure, you have some lame people, you have the crippled, you have the hurting. It was a very popular place for, for people to go, because, especially if you were crippled or lame, because you would kind of play towards the, the conscience and towards the piety of the Jewish people. They were coming there. They were doing something spiritual. And, and to look even more spiritual in the eyes of, of God, they would, would not only bring their tithe, they would bring their money, their offering to the temple, but it was also a good thing because, you know what, maybe the Lord could see them a little bit better that way. They would be very generous in giving to, to the hurting, to the crippled, to the lame, to, to those who needed um, some money. And, and so it was a popular place to go and for the poor to go and to receive some, some alms, to receive some money. 
It's so ironic, I think, in this story. And, and, and again, every part of God's word is placed there for a reason. I love the way that it is mentioned that he is there at the beautiful gate. Here you have this amazing structure, the beautiful gate as you see it there, and it is believed that, this, that, that these pillars were 75 feet high, that the, the gate itself to open and close, it would take 20 men to be able to open and close it, and it was covered in Corinthian copper, which pales in comparison apparently to gold and to silver. This was an amazing, amazing thing. And, and so right beside all of this beauty, you have someone who is lame, someone who's never walked on his feet. He was born that way. He was born crippled. And around all of this beauty, you have the hurting. This man, we learn a little later on, sat there. He was brought there daily, and we know that he was at least 40 years old, crippled, totally reliant on others. Probably it was his family members, his brothers, uncles, Neighbors that would carry him to the temple daily to go there and to beg. Not only was he considered an outcast of society and was reduced to begging, it also meant because of Old Testament Levitical laws, and, and you can see these in the book of Leviticus, he was not allowed to go into the temple courts. He wasn't able to go and to worship. He wasn't allowed to because of his, his handicap. And this went on for days, weeks, months, and years for him. And it's such a reminder, you can have all of this beauty, you can have this structure, you can have worship and teaching and prayers and giving and all of this going on, and you can, in the midst of it, you can have those who are hurting, those who are struggling, not just physically, but emotionally and relationally and spiritually. Look at our city. We live in a beautiful city here. And you see the beauty on the mountains, you see the beauties of the orchards, you see the lakes, you just see the landscaping just, I mean, it's such a beautiful city we get to live in. And in the midst of our city, we know there's hurting. There are those who are struggling. Those, are hurt, those who are hurting in, in some of the, the worst kind of ways. And even this morning, we can gather together for worship and have fellowship together and, and have people in our midst or be one of those people in the midst here, who's hurting. Whether it be physically, hurting on the inside, discouraged, confused, fearful. The Lord wants to touch each one of us. He touches us through the mighty name of Jesus. And so Peter and John are heading to the temple and this guy shouts to them, Alms! Alms for the poor! Can I have some money? Alms! And it says in verse 4, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, Look at us. Peter's like, Look at me. Look at me in the eye. Come on, take a look at me. That's pretty significant. You know what? It, it's hard to look at someone when they're struggling in the eye, isn't it? We can feel guilty. They can make us uncomfortable. And, and just one example of this, I mean, on, on some of our, our busy streets here in Kelowna and some of the side routes, I don't know if you've ever seen it, I'm sure you have if you live here in the city, is the guys holding up the cardboard signs at the intersections and oftentimes a little bit of a story there that they could use some money or as you pull out of the parking lot at Superstore, there is oftentimes a guy and his dog that are there and, and you see them and 
and you see them from a distance and, and you don't want to make eye contact with them, do you? Because it can make you feel uncomfortable. You might think, well, I, I really have nothing for them. And, and, and all of a sudden, we can oftentimes start to, start to even judge a little bit in our own minds and just think, well, they're probably on drugs or they're probably into booze and they're, you know, maybe they're a criminal, maybe they're an addict of some sort. And, and so quickly, we just turn away from the needs that are around us. But in the name of Jesus, we can look at people in the eye because we have something that we can offer them. When we see someone who is crying, someone who is not just themselves, and you know that something is wrong, we can look them in the eye. We don't do it in our own strength, and our own power, but this is what Peter did. Peter didn't get up that day, I am quite convinced, and think, I feel like healing someone today. I'm just going to go to the temple, you know, I'll go for the, the three o'clock, you know, I'll take in the three o'clock prayer time, and, you know, I think, I think I'm just going to go and I'm going to heal someone here today. I believe that this moment when this guy called to him, it, this transaction, if you want to call it, this miracle happened in a very, very short period of time. And Peter took and he looked at him in the eye. And Peter looks at this lame man and he says, now look at me, look at me. Because even for this individual, more than likely he would have a hard time looking at people in the eye. Because he had been rejected by many, probably often. And Peter says, look at me. And he says, silver and gold, I don't have any of that. But I want to give you something even greater. And it's in the name of Jesus that he calls them. He, says, he tells them, he says, look at me in the eye. You might say, but I can't look at people like that. And I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know their need. I don't know what's going to happen. And you do it in the name and in the power of Jesus. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will give you the words to say. And about what was happened to this lame beggar was not done in the name of Peter. It wasn't his power. It was in the name of Jesus are we willing to look at people and look at them in the eye and look at the needs around us and reach out to them in the name and the power of Jesus Christ? And secondly, we have, first of all, we, have, we can look at people in the eye in the name of Jesus, but second of all, in the name of Jesus, we can have bold faith. And this here, this, this happens quickly. Peter looks at him, their eyes meet, and Peter calls him to stand up and walk, and he reaches out his hand. It took faith on behalf of Peter. It took faith on behalf of this lame guy to be able to, to take and to reach out his hand to receive this special touch. And so you say, so Meldon, is this what it comes down to? Does it come down to faith? Just need to have some bold faith? Yes, it comes down to faith. Verse 16, which we will look at more in depth next week as we continue on in this passage, it says it was faith in the name of Jesus that healed this man. So it was a matter of faith. Many of the healings that you read about in the gospel that Jesus performed happened as a direct result of people's faith. The centurion had faith. And you have people coming to Jesus at times on faith, in faith that he could heal one of their loved ones who wasn't even there that Jesus could heal them, they had faith. Some, some of the miracles Jesus performed, he, he, 
No one had faith. It was a declaration of Jesus' strength and His power. But so many of the miracles involve people having faith. We also see that the disciples, at one point in the Gospels, they could not cast out a demon. Why? Because Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. He says, how can we cast out the demon? He says, your faith is too small. So it comes down to faith. Even think about this. Jesus, almighty, all-powerful, Jesus. He could not, at one point, do the miracles that He wanted to do. Why? Because of a lack of faith. So, if we just have lots of faith, is that the key to seeing the lost saved? To see the sick people healed? To see the broken people restored? Is that what it comes down to? Oh, that we would be men and women and teenagers and kids. A church with bold kind of faith. Is that what it comes down to? Yes, it comes down to... Sometimes I have to admit to you folks that I have very, very small faith. Sometimes my faith for God to work or Him to come through, is pretty tiny. Why? Maybe it's because at times I've prayed with bold faith and it hasn't happened. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed and things haven't worked out in the way that I've wanted it to work out. And so sometimes you get a little gun-shy. You start to get thinking, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. I'm sure all of you have prayed those kind of prayers with bold faith and the miracle hasn't happened in the way that we have wanted And we ended up being confused, maybe even hurting and even gun-shy to have much faith to face the next situation in life. Question for you, do you have the same kind of faith that Peter had, that this man had in reaching out his hand? I mean, he could have just pulled it back. I'm not touching you. But there was some faith that was going on here in both of these men's lives. Do you have a bold kind of faith? How do you build faith in your life? How does that happen? You know what? We go to the Word of God. If you need to be encouraged about being a man or a woman of faith, go to the Word of God. Go go through Hebrews 11 and and look at the heroes of faith. Go, Go back and look up their stories, many of them in the Old Testament of men and women who were heroes of faith that that did great and mighty things for God. You'll see that they were weak people, but you see a mighty God behind them. Read some of the biographies of, of, of men and women who have, have served God faithfully in, in the last number of centuries. And there are some great stories. People like George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, just incredible, incredible bold faith that, that these individuals had to do great and mighty things for God. We can be encouraged and strengthened by the faith of another, but ultimately our faith, it comes from God, empowering us. But we can learn from God's Word. And here's something really, really important. You've got to listen, you've got to listen, because I don't want you to get confused on this. This is where we can just look at the miracle of the lame man getting healed and go, wow, cool, awesome, would love to see that happen in, in, in my life, in my situation, in this person's situation. Folks, what I'm not talking, I'm not talking about having this Red Bull kind of faith, just being this, this faith machine kind of thing. I'm not talking about a name it and claim it theology of just where you say, if I believe it, it will happen and just go hard on it. But here's the question. Do I have a bold faith? Now listen to this. This is important. Do I have a bold faith to see God meet me at the point of my greatest need. Do I have a bold faith that God will meet me at the greatest point of my need? You see, 
it's not what I think I want all the time, but what God knows that I need. Do you have faith to receive God's work at that point in your life of greatest need? Will Christ be enough for you even if the healing doesn't come? Even if the answer, if the breakthrough does not happen in the time frame that you were hoping and, and, and praying for and that others were also hoping and praying for? The lame man, what did he want? He thought he needed money. He was asking for alms. And it was like God was saying, no, it's not, it's not alms you need. You need a touch from me. And not only was he touched physically, he was touched spiritually. His heart was changed. He thought he needed some more money. That's what he was asking. That's what he was begging for. I'm sure at the beginning of the day, he, he, he was quite possibly even praying, God, may there be generous people to help me in my time of need. You know, just if there was more money to pay the bills. Get ahead, help out my family. They've been so gracious and so good for me. Good to me. Maybe, maybe, you know, just put some bread on the table for my family. He thought he needed money, but God knew exactly what he needed. In Philippians 4, we have an incredible promise that says that my God shall supply all of your needs. Not our wants, but our needs. This guy wanted money, and God knew that he needed spiritual and physical healing. He got a lot more than what he was asking for. And that's the amazing thing about God. He gives to us more in greater ways at times by not getting what we've asked for, but by giving us something more and something greater. Do you have a faith, a bold faith, to see God meet you at the point of your greatest need? Faith to pray bold prayers, to pray for the miraculous, but bold faith to trust God with the outcome, knowing and believing that He works all things together for my good. In the name of Jesus, we can have bold faith. And bold faith to trust God for the impossible and bold faith to accept His good and His perfect will in our lives. In the name of Jesus, thirdly, we see that in the name of Jesus, though, there is healing. So we can be people who look at others in the eye. We can be people with a bold faith, but we also know that in the name of Jesus, there is healing. That Jesus heals people. Does, does our Lord heal people today? Do you believe that? Amen. He does. Then how come we're not seeing the kind of miracles that are taking place here that Peter and John were a part of and, and that we see in the Gospels and we see in the first part of the book of Acts? How come we're not seeing that today? Is it a faith thing? Sure, possibly. But here's something else about miracles. Here's something about miracles and healing we need to understand. First of all, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect when it comes to miracles and healing. Now think about this story. This man had been coming to the temple on a daily basis. This wasn't something new that he just started. It says daily he would be brought to the temple. There's a good chance that this was going on for decades. Daily to the temple. Did Jesus go to the temple? Did Jesus go to the temple? You with me? Yeah. He went to the temple to pray. He went to the temple to teach. He went to the temple to flip some tables over one day. I mean, Jesus spent time there. Jesus healed people right there. That picture, 
right of the center courts. He was there healing people. He, he would teach people. He would heal people. He would touch their lives. Don't you think that with Jesus and all this healing stuff going on, that this guy would have been saying, hey, get me to Jesus. He's healing people. He's touching their lives. How come he never got to Jesus? Maybe they tried and the lineup was too long and they're just like, we'll try again another day when he, Jesus is here. Now think about this. Jesus, the mighty power of God, was omniscient. Meaning, he knew all things. And I can't help but wonder, and this week I got so excited about this passage, because I couldn't help but wonder that there were times that Jesus was rushing into the temple or he was walking by, and he saw that beggar. He saw that guy at the beautiful gate and he looked at him and he knew exactly what he needed, that his ankles, from, from the time he was born, he was born that way. And that Jesus would go walking past him, and with a twinkle in his eye, he thought to himself, oh, your day is coming, and oh, what a day that's going to be. Your day is coming. God's timing is perfect. One of the things I've learned about being stretched in the area of church planting was something we were told back at the training center. They said that, that God's timing is perfect in all things. That God is never late. Seldom is He ever early, but He's always on time. You can trust Him, and I know it. I can go to the bank. I can tell you story after story. God is never late. Very rarely does He show up early in our lives and... and there's the faith, there's the trust. He's always on time. And Jesus walking past that beautiful gate and seeing that guy with that twinkle, and I, I, sometimes I just think, I mean, Jesus, his eyes must have been amazing the way that he could look at people with compassion and care. And then also, too, just the, the fieriness in his eyes when, when he was a little ticked off at the, the religious leaders and some of the things they were pulling off. But there as he's walking by, that twinkle in his eye, your day is coming, and oh, what a day it's going to be. And second of all, here, miracles point to something greater. In our minds, we make miracles, we make the miraculous, the end game, the big thing, the big event, the most important, but God, He points to something else. As we're looking for the big thing, there's something small, there's something yet though totally amazing that God is doing, and oftentimes that's what we miss because we're looking for the big thing. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Reasons for God, and, and I mean, I, I needed to, to, to take these points and share them with you, when he wrote about miracles, and he says, first of all, miracles point upwards. In Jesus, we see the miracles in the Gospels that he performed were God's authentication of Jesus. They made a statement showing his power over nature by calming the storm, his power over the demonic world by casting out demons, to show his power over illness, disease, whether it was, was um, or, or, or untimely death. Jesus was there to show his power in all of these things, and it was a way that God would say, this is my son, this man is not only the Son of God, He has the power of God. He is God. 
And so miracles point upwards. And, and in the early church, we see the apostles, we see the, the miracles that took place there as God's valid, valid, validation of the apostles and their ministry as this new age the church begins as we're in this series. This is a whole new time, a whole new opportunity as the church is getting rolling. And this is a way we see the signs and the wonders and the miracles that took place in a way that God was able to declare these apostles, this new power that is available, the church age is beginning. Let's go. And so you see the miracles. But even as you read through the book of Acts, you see the miracles becoming less and less. And by the end, we don't see the miracles. Instead, we have something that Jesus' brother wrote in in James chapter 5. He writes about the instructions that we have when it comes to divine healing. And he talks about how the uh, how we are to pray for those who are sick, that they are to call the elders of the church, they are to be anointed in oil, the prayer of, of faith prayed over them with bold faith. And folks, I've seen this happen. This is the instructions that we have in God's Word for divine healing. And God does heal today. And sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it takes time, and sometimes God says, not happening right now. But hold on. This week, dear friends of ours in Alberta, his 40-year-old wife, guy that I was involved in some business endeavors on, his 40-year-old wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Devastated. Are we praying? Are we praying for God to work in a miraculous way or also through the medical field? You better believe it, we're praying. Will she be anointed with oil by the elders of the church? You better believe it. They've already made that call. But we're also praying that God would do a greater and a deeper work in this couple's life. And just the conversations I've already had and phoned a few other people just to see, check up on how they are doing. And they said, God's, God's at work. God's using this situation in their life. God does heal people today and it's been a privilege to be a part of this. And in the future, for Harvest Bible Chapel, we're trusting God for immeasurably more when it comes to this sort of thing. And so we pray with bold faith. We desire to see miracles happen. But the miracle isn't the statement. It is the power of God. It's not the power of, of the person who prayed. It's not the power of the faith healer. It, it, nothing like that. It, it, it's to authenticate the power of God that's available. Second of all, Keller goes on to say that, that miracles point inward. It reminds us that our world is broken, that we have suffering and disease and heartache and and it's spinning out of control. I mean, it's just devastating when you you see what is going on in our world, whether it's with illnesses or diseases. You think with all the technology, everything that's happening, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, sorry to say, if there's any doctors here or anyone in the medical community, they can't seem to make up their mind on certain things. They'll tell us, you know, don't eat eggs, don't eat real butter, don't eat this, don't do this. You know, because that causes heart issues and it causes heart disease and all these things. And now they're saying, no, no, that's fine. Now, you know, because we can't figure it all out. Because it's spinning out of control. And yet we have a God who is in control. We know that the day is coming. You read the news. You hear what's going on. We know our world is fallen. It is broken. On the inside, we are fallen. We are broken because of sin. And we need something more than just a physical healing and just a touch on the outside. God is ready to do that restoration work on the inside. We need a restoration that only God can give. And He works on us and in us from the inside out. 
to have physical healing without a soul healing is worthless. Even potentially harmful. Because eternity is at stake. That it's about having the soul that has been touched, that has been redeemed through the power of Jesus Christ. And so, miracles remind us that inwardly we are broken and our world is broken because of the inward brokenness in our lives. But restoration, salvation is possible to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so, miracles point upward. Second of all, if you can just put it up there for them, point inward. Think about this for a moment. Every person that was healed in Jesus' day, in the book of Acts, every person that was healed or raised from the dead eventually got sick and died again. Or got sick and, and, and died for the first time, but, but who were healed at one point ended up dying. The guy, I love this story in the Bible because it, it talks about you know, kind of allowing you to preach for a long time. In Acts 20, Paul is preaching on and on, and it's going on into hours and hours. And, and in Acts 20, this guy's sitting in this window, kind of windowsill, and he ends up falling asleep during the sermon, and he falls out of the window and he dies. And, and, and so Paul is, you know, oh my, I, what happened? The guy was here, he's dead. And so he goes down and he raises him to life. And what does Paul do? I love it. He keeps preaching. He, he can't shut him up. He just wanted to keep firing at him, you know. And, and, uh, but that guy who, who was raised from the dead just for that short little time, he ended up dying again. And this time he didn't get raised from the dead on, in, in the physical realm. Every person that was healed ended up getting sick again. Lazarus, they had a second funeral for him. They had the first one and three days, you know, I mean, Jesus ended up healing him. But they had a second funeral for him. Maybe he even kind of asked, hey, so what did you do at my funeral? How was the, you know, how were the egg salad sandwiches at it? You know, like for the next funeral, you should, you know, maybe he gave a little further instructions on it. I, I really don't know. But, um, he died. Those who were cured eventually got sick again or died in an old age. We oftentimes focus on the temporary. God focuses on the eternal. You might say, well, you know what, if God actually did some more miracles, like if he pulled off a few dramatic miracles here in this world and, you know what, here in this city or here in this church, you know what, who would really get people to believe and follow? Really? Really, does it? I don't know, I, I'm thinking of in the Old Testament, the story of the Israelites. I mean, they, they seed their deliverance from Egypt with the death of the firstborn. They cross over on the Red Sea. It's dry for them. And then they see, just as they get over, they see the Egyptian army totally wiped out. I mean, they see the mighty miracles, the power of God. And within, what, a short time, as Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, they decided, well, I don't know if he's coming back. And they ended up making false gods and, 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 and having the golden calf. And here they see the miracles and they don't believe. They don't trust. They, they, they're so wishy-washy. Miracles don't, don't necessarily produce that. I mean, just even think of, um, even for Jesus, the miracles that he performed. Pretty convincing miracles that people saw, and yet he was put to death. Didn't cause people to believe. Caused some people to believe, but many didn't. Even for Peter and John, as we'll see in a few weeks, this miracle kind of got them into a little bit of trouble. People weren't convinced. I mean, maybe they were convinced, but they didn't like it, and so it didn't cause people to believe. In fact, it actually kind of elevated some tensions. So miracles point upward, they point inward that our world is wasting away, and 2 Corinthians 4 says, outwardly, we're, he says, we're wasting away 
but inwardly we can be renewed. Yes, our bodies are breaking down, our bodies are getting older, but inwardly He can do that new and that fresh work in us. But something about miracles, they also point forward. A foreshadowing of what is to come. That healing and wholeness are, will be ours one day. Tim Keller, in, in his quote here, just want to read this for you. It's, it, it's just excellent. He, he says, We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the whole uh, make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that He has the power, but also wonderful foretaste of what He is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts and that the world we all want is coming. There will be a day. And in, in Revelations chapter 21, this, this powerful passage that He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Anyone in for that? No more pain? Yeah, no more pain. For the former things have passed away. It points to a new day coming. It comes to the day when all will be restored. Sixteen years ago, our family um, entered into some very interesting waters. Actually, 17 years ago, I was corrected yesterday. Our niece Courtney was born, and her family lives in Abbotsford, B.C., and, and within a short time of her birth, it was discovered that she had a very rare skin disorder. And it is called epidermal bullosa, and that basically means that the top layer of her skin doesn't adhere to the second layer of her skin. So any sort of mild friction can cause that skin to tear or to sear, causing blisters and open wounds. Very, very painful to have a large percent of your body affected by this. And so on a, on, on a regular basis, she is wrapped with, with gauze and with certain oils just to protect her very fragile skin. Oftentimes, this is called, um, they call it a, a butterfly disease, a, a butterfly, because her skin is so delicate like that of a butterfly. Have we prayed for a miracle for Courtney? Yes. Thousands of people in Canada, around the world, have prayed for her. Thousands and thousands of hours, no doubt, prayed. And yet God, in His sovereign will, has said, He hasn't said no, He has just said, not yet. We know that God can heal. When Courtney was about three years old, my sister was pregnant for the second time. The DNA testings for their second child, Shaylin, came back, the DNA testings came back that Shaylin tested for the same illness, or for the same disease, or skin disorder. Again, people prayed. The medical community wanted to abort her because they just thought, why bring someone into this world who knowingly you have this knowledge that she has this disorder? But you know, Todd made the decision. They said, we're going we're to keep her. We believe God 
will either heal her or he'll give us the strength to be able to have another child with this disorder. And I'll never forget the night that Shailen was born. Our small group was meeting in our basement and the news came. My parents phoned and said, they gave birth, Shailen is born, and she's completely healthy. God touched her. God healed her. As you know, DNA doesn't lie. And the doctors had no explanation for it. And my sister, she's kind of bold, a little forceful. She told the doctors, we have an explanation for this. It's the power of God. It's the power of healing. But God in His sovereign will, when it has come to Courtney, He has said, not no, but not yet. I think of our Savior with that twinkle in His eye saying, your day is coming. Your day is coming. When that will be, we do not know. But one day she will be walking and leaping and praising God here on earth or, on, or in heaven where everything will re be restored because miracles point forward to that day and we have that in faith. One of the things that this 17-year-old girl and her family have taught us. They've taught us actually not just one thing, but many things about suffering, about trusting God, about questioning God. But ultimately, the greatest things that they have taught us is that you can worship. You can worship God while you are waiting. Her body may not be declaring that there's a healing on the outside, but her voice declares that there is healing on the inside. That God has touched and is touching her from the inside out. And she desires to declare with her voice that she has a trust and a love for Jesus and knowing that He works all things together for our good. For is that in the name of Jesus we worship. In the name of Jesus we worship. The lame man walking and leaping and praising God. And so it's in the name that, that we give glory and honor to God. We give testimony to the power of God in our lives through our words, through our actions, through our songs. And, and that's, that's what Courtney was doing here today. She was declaring that God is touching her, that God is, is healing her from the inside out. And that's what we do on a Sunday morning. We come in here as we gather, we worship, we praise, we, we thank the King of Kings. And we make some declarations as we sing together, as we worship Him, as we walk out of here. We make declarations by the way that we live our lives, praising Jesus, being thankful to Him, living lives that, that bring honor and glory to Him is a declaration that He has changed us and we do this in the name of Jesus. And as we go throughout our week, as we worship together here on a Sunday, it is thank you God for saving me. Thank you, God, for transforming me because of the great work that He has done by sending His Son to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins. We have healing that is available. We have spiritual healing. We have spiritual life. We are so much like this lame man, crippled from birth. And God's Word tells us that spiritually we were born broken. We were born spiritually 
dead in our sins. But the power of Jesus. Does that mean that we have complete and total victory in our lives over sin? No, that's a constant battle and it's something we continue to struggle with and, and, and we continue to rely on Jesus. That's why we need the body of Christ for it, to walk with us, encourage us, challenge us. We have a message to proclaim. Because of the name of Jesus and what it entails, we can look at people in the eye. We have something to offer them. We have Jesus and we can look at them with a bold faith knowing that He can touch any situation. There is no situation that God's grace, that His love, that His power is not deeper than. We know that in the name of Jesus there is healing and in the name of Jesus we worship and we declare. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up as we close, in, close our service by that song that, that uh, we were just learning um, just right before the message here. As we make some declarations as we know that only Jesus saves, only Jesus heals, only Jesus redeems a broken life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you that in the name of Jesus there is power. In the name of Jesus there is healing. In the name of Jesus we can have bold faith and we have a bold faith that we can go and we can, can minister to those around us. Whether it is by kind word or action. Getting that opportunity to be able to share the greatest news with others and that is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, about Jesus. Father, I pray that as individuals and as families and as a church, we would be people that would live our lives for the glory and in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. And because of that, see great and mighty things happen. The miraculous happen. To see people who are spiritually dead come alive and we pray that for our city. We pray that in our own families as all of us have family members who are not walking with you or perhaps they have been walking with you and they're running in the opposite direction. Father in heaven we pray that in the name of Jesus they would come back and that you would use us as your faith-filled servants to minister them and to a lost and a hurting world that needs hope and that all of these miracles that we read about in your word they point to the day in heaven of incredible joy and celebration and worship of Jesus Christ no tears our tears will be wiped away no illness no pain no sorrow those are all the former things Thank you that you look upon each person here, Jesus, with that twinkle in your eye and say, just hold on, it's coming. That touch that you're looking for, it's coming. May we be people of faith, see the greater work that you are wanting to do in our lives, even in the midst of our waiting. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.